0: Welcome to the podcast of The Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again. Hope you're doing well. Last Sunday, we kicked off our fall vision series, and in this series, we're exploring the vision that God has given us as a church, and with the particular accent on where he's leading us in this new season. And uh, if you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to listen online. It was an important message, so that's just an encouragement. But just by way of recap, last week, one of the things we talked about is that God has really given us a vision for a city and not just for a church. That he has given us a vision for a city and actually even for a region, not just for a church. And specifically, our vision is to see our lives and our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. That's that's really our heartbeat. That's our vision. That's our prayer. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's really what we long to see happen. And so last week, we began a discussion of, well, well, how do we see that happen? I mean, it's a beautiful vision, but how do we take a step toward that. And so in this series, we're exploring four things uh, that are so important for this journey of really experiencing this transformation in our lives. And last week, we saw that we are called, first and foremost, to intimacy, to a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Uh, And I'll come back to that later in the sermon, but I want to start today with a story So at the 2004 Olympics, there was an American named Matt Emmons who was competing in the air rifle competition. And specifically, he was competing in what's called the three position event. And this is where you start out shooting, you're, you're, you're laying down on, on your stomach and then you kneel and then finally you stand on your feet and you shoot at a target 50 meters away. Now, going into his final shot, Matt, he was in first place, and he was so far ahead of anyone, everyone else that all he had to do was hit like a remotely mediocre shot. I mean, if he hit anywhere on this target, he would clinch the gold for the United States. He held his breath, he aimed, he shot his final shot, and he hit the bullseye, like right in the center. But the craziest thing happened, as he looked up at the scoreboard, he saw his standing drop from first to eighth he had hit the bullseye on the wrong target, thereby forfeiting any chance at a medal. And I share this story because I believe that this is actually a parable for the church in the United States right now. I, I, I fear that we are hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. I could approach this from different angles. I'll share just a a couple different examples to help us kind of get a sense for this. This is not exhaustive, but I I think sometimes we can think that if we just get enough people in a room, we are hitting the bullseye. And of course, there are some very large churches in America right now, and so we can sometimes be like, yes, like we are hitting the bullseye. Uh, Sometimes I think we can think, you know, if we just get enough content, if I just listen to enough podcasts, if I just read enough books, or maybe as a pastor, if I just deliver enough content, if I just give enough sermons, or maybe quality enough sermons, maybe that is hitting the bull'seye. And of course, don't hear me wrong. There, I mean, I'm all about good teaching and good preaching. <laughs> I'm all about church growth. These are wonderful things. Um, but think about this: We have now more content available to us than any time in the history of the church. And so if that were all we needed, I mean, on just my little Bible software, I have more resources available to me than like any leader in the history of the church prior to like a decade ago. You know, I mean, that's, and that's a blessing and I'm thankful for that. But if that was sufficient, I think we'd be seeing a whole lot more transformation in our lives, in our cities, in our churches, um, in our country, or just think of, you know, even though church attendance is down per capita in our nation, we have now some of the biggest churches that have ever been in this nation, some of the biggest buildings. If that were enough, I think we'd be seeing a whole lot more transformation. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a book right now uh, by David Kinneman, who is the president of Barna Research. And if I'm honest, it's just like rocking my world. Um, they did in-depth research of young adults aged 18 to 29 who grew up in the church, who were raised Christian, and, and they discovered that only 10% of this demographic is actually now living as a follower of Jesus Christ. Only 10%. Let, just let that sink in for a moment. I mean, think about that. I mean, um, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. 22% have left the faith. 30% are what they describe as nomads. Now, they they would still kind of wear the Christian label, but it doesn't really mean anything. There's no real connection to their life. There's no connection to the church or really to the teachings of Jesus. Uh, now, this is somewhat encouraging. 38% uh, still have uh, some connection to the church, Uh, would attend at least once a month. But really, when you dig down, their lives and their beliefs really don't really map onto the life of Jesus. They don't really have trust in the authority of the Bible. They don't really engage with the mission of God. And so really only 10% based on this research are really living as followers of Christ. And so in light of that, and I could go on, uh, but in light of that, and, 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 and with no accusation in my heart, I can't help but wonder if we're hitting the bullseye on the wrong target in America today. And and so what is, here's the question, what is the bullseye according to Jesus? And that's really what I want to talk about today. And I want to look at several passages in particular in the Gospel of Mark to really help us see this. And if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is one book comprised of 66 separate books. And there are different genres, different types of literature, and the book of Mark is what we might think of as a biography. It's about the life of Jesus, and it's called a gospel because gospel means good news. Uh, A friend from church recently was sharing with me that when she came to faith in high school, that she went around her high school saying, have you heard about Jesus? Like, like I didn't know. And so for her, she's like, this was good news, and I think sometimes we lose that if you've been in the church your whole life, but like, this is good news, and so that's why it's called a gospel. So Okay, so that's that's a little fun fact, but um so so let's start with Mark chapter one, verses sixteen through twenty, and here, here's the story. It says As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, said Jesus, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and what? Followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and what? Followed him. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And among other things, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher, and so he's teaching them. And it says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Next, let's look at chapter three, verses 13 through 15. And we read this last week, but I wanna read this again. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. One more passage, Mark chapter 8. Read this one more time, 34 through 37. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross, and there's this word again, follow me, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, do you see the pattern through these passages in story after story? The call of Jesus is not, hey, if you believe a few things about me, uh, you can go to heaven when you die. The call of Jesus was, hey, come and follow me. Or put in different words, come and be my disciple. Come and be my apprentice. So so that is really the call. That is the invitation. That is the bullseye, if you will. But what does that mean? Well, to be a disciple is to be a follower. So to be a, a follower, a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of him. Now, I need to clarify here, because I think in our culture, when we hear follower, we can think of like Instagram follower. And so if you're a, a, an Instagram follower of, let's say, a celebrity on Instagram, what does that mean? Well, It means you don't actually know them. You might know a few things about them, and you're like a fan. You're like, hey, like you know, I like you, like, you know, like, let's say you're a, I don't know, a follower of Beyonce or whatever on, on Instagram, you're like, go Beyonce, I like you, you know? And so it's just kind of, that presupposes a distance and there's kind of like, you're kind of more just like, hey, like, I like you, that kind of thing. So it's, it's that sort of idea, but really to be a follower of Jesus is a very different sort of idea. And and, and really, I think the best word to capture what this means is the word apprentice. And so if you've known someone who's been in a trade, like a carpenter or a plumber, like they apprentice themselves to someone to really learn the trade. And I think that really helps capture this idea of what it is to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ. And and, and so this is really, I think, a really helpful way of thinking about this. And so to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus really involves uh, three main goals. And if you were just to think about uh, the first century context of this, uh, three three main goals. I'm drawing some inspiration here from John Mark Comer, who's done some fantastic work on this topic. But really three basic goals. And the first was this. So if you're in the first century and you were to disciple yourself to a rabbi, the first thing that would mean is that you are to be with that rabbi. That That is your first goal. Uh, Mark chapter three, again, it says that they might be with him. And so discipleship isn't just a matter of reading a book, uh, it, it was to be with a person day in and day out. It was relational, that was really your first goal as a disciple, as, uh, as as a follower of a rabbi, to be with your rabbi. Second goal is to become like your rabbi. So for example, in Mark chapter 1, we read of how Jesus said to Peter and, and Andrew when they're out fishing, he said, hey, uh, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. Now that means many things, but one thing I want you to see is what this presupposes is that he's calling them to actually become like him. He's saying, hey, follow me and you will become like me. And they knew that this was the opportunity of a lifetime to apprentice themselves under Jesus to become like him. And so they dropped their nets and they followed him. So first goal, be with your rabbi. Second goal was to become like your rabbi. And the third goal is to do what he did. Notice uh, Mark chapter 3, Jesus' end goal of calling these first disciples was, quote, to send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. You see, that's that's what Jesus had been doing, right? He'd been preaching, he'd been driving out demons. And at some point he said, all right, now you're ready to go. Go likewise, and, and it's your turn. Go for it. And And really, the whole point of discipleship in this context would have been to one day become a rabbi yourself. And so that after however many years the program would go, that one, at some point, the rabbi would say to you, you know what? I think you're ready. I believe you've got what it takes. Now you go and make disciples. And by the way, that's the language that Jesus uses when he commissions the church, when he gives us our mission in Matthew 28. He said, go and make disciples. It's this very language. And somehow I feel like we've, we've missed this. It's like we've read this as though Jesus said simply go and make converts. Now that's presupposed. But the idea of being a disciple and making disciples is just so much bigger than that. It's way beyond that. We are called to be disciples or be apprentices of Jesus who in turn introduce other people to him and help others to follow him as well. But what does that mean in our context? So it's, you know, we're in the 21st century, like Jesus isn't like physically here with us. So, so how does that actually work for us? Well, I think it's actually the same. We are to orient our lives around the same basic goals. So first off, to be with Jesus. And and I, as I argued last week, that this is really our first and, and most important goal in the Christian life, to be with Jesus, to stay close to him, to live a life of intimacy with him. Now, again, you might wonder, well, he's not here with us physically, so like how does that work? Well, remember that what Jesus told his followers shortly before his death and resurrection and ascension, he said, it's actually better if I go and ascend to the Father. Now, why? Because he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. See, before Jesus could only be during his earthly ministry, he could only be in one place at one time, but... Now through the Holy Spirit, he can be with all of his people all the time. The Holy Spirit is the one who mediates for us the presence of Christ. And so actually being with Jesus is a matter of staying close to and and, and connected to the Holy Spirit, who is also referred to as the Spirit of Christ. And just kind of practically last week, I suggested that we all need a plan for this because there's so many things coming at us in life and in our culture that if we don't really have a plan for really prayer and connecting with Jesus, this will just, this will not happen. And so we need a a time, we need a place to really cultivate this kind of relationship of being with Jesus, okay? So that's the first goal. But the second goal is to become like Jesus out of that place of abiding to to really become uh, like our Rabbi Jesus, if you will. Now, now back in the day, if, if you grew up in the church, the language uh, people would have used was the word sanctification. Nowadays, people more often use the word spiritual formation, but we're basically referring to the same thing. And, and here's a definition of this, I think is really helpful. Um, this is from Dallas Willard. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> but he puts it like this. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process. and In other words, this takes time. It's not all at once. It is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. Now, here's what I think we we need to realize, that we are all in the process of being formed into the likeness of something. So spiritual formation actually isn't an optional thing. We're all already being formed one way or another. And so the question is, what are we being formed into? Sometimes we have intentionality about this. We have a goal. We're really pursuing something. Sometimes we're kind of not really thinking about it, but we are still being formed whether we realize it or not. And so the question is, are you on a trajectory of becoming more and more Like Jesus. Are you, in other words, are you becoming more patient? Are you in a process of becoming more kind or maybe, um, more servant-hearted or more mature? John Wimber, who led the vineyard movement in its heyday, he used to say, I want to grow up before I grow old. (laughs) And I think that is such a great quote. Not only is it funny, but also it's so true. The mere passage of time does not mature you. It's what you do with the time that you have. And one of our central goals and calls as followers of Jesus actually to become like Jesus, to become like him. This is what the New Testament calls transformation. And here's kind of where I've come to in my life, is that my number one goal for my life is at the end of my life, if I can have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, and if I actually look like him, like everything else is gravy. Like honestly. Now, the world will tell you, no, it's all about what you accomplish. It's about how many Instagram followers you have or how much money you have to make. Actually, no. According to Jesus, what matters most is your relationship with him and actually, are you becoming like him? That's what matters at the end of the day. Dallas Willard used to say, what God gets out of your life is the kind of person you become. So important, so central to following Jesus, becoming like him, becoming like him. And you might wonder, well, how how does that even work? That's like a whole nother sermon. But two things I'll just... Gesture out here. First of all, that that we need to actually practice the ways of Jesus, and I'll come back to that later in the sermon. But second, we also really need community in this process, and so we're going to talk about that more in the next couple of weeks. But so, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and the third goal of following Jesus is doing what He did, uh, and, and and I think I said earlier that central. To the goal of discipleship was to carry on your master's work. Now, of course, this is a bit tricky because Jesus, he was not only a rabbi, if you will, he was also the Messiah, the son of God. and, And his goal was not just to teach about God and to teach about the Bible. His goal was also to usher in the kingdom of God. And so what that means for us is that our goal as followers of Jesus is not just to know about the Bible, not just to talk about the Bible or think of God, but to actually join him in his kingdom work in the world. That is central to following Jesus. And of course, this connects to our vision as a church, that we want to be a part of what God's doing in this world to bring his kingdom, to bring transformation and hope and healing and new life. That is is so central to being a follower of Jesus. Now you might wonder, um, well, what, what kinds of things did Jesus do? If, if, if part of being a follower of Jesus is to do what he did, well, what kinds of things did he do? So let's just, I don't know, just kind of give some examples here. So, so he preached the gospel. He taught the way. He, he healed the sick. He, he cast out evil spirits. He practiced hospitality with those who were far from God. He engaged in acts of compassion and justice. He engaged in peacemaking. He, he prayed. He prophesied. He stood up to religious and political corruption. We can go on and on, but here's, here, here's really the bottom line. That if you are a follower, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then one of the central goals of your life is to eventually, not on day one, but to do the things that he did. To do the things that he did. And so, uh, for example, um, this past spring I decided, you know what, I'm turning 40 soon. I need to like, I need to try to get ahead of this curve and I'm going to try to get in shape. And so I spent some time with a personal trainer, but not just so that I would know about working out, not so I would simply know, like, you know, I don't know what, know about nutrition, know about weightlifting. I, I spent time with him because I actually wanted to be able to work out, right? Or when I was a kid, I took guitar lessons, not simply so that I would know about guitar, not simply so that I would know about scales or chords or notes or these kind of things. I wanted to be able to play the lead from Hotel California. <laughs> amen. I get an amen here. I'm getting some amens. Here we go. I'm feeling the love feel the love already. So all that to say, as followers of Jesus, our goal is not just to know about Jesus, it's to grow in our maturity to such an extent that we actually have the capacity to join him in his work in the world. And by the way, I have to say, there's nothing more fun. Sometimes it's hard, but there's nothing more fun than to partner with Jesus in what he is doing in the world. There's nothing better, nothing better. And and, and so I just I just wanna emphasize this just, just if we think about this invitation, that's really kind of what it involves. We talked about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. But this invitation, when Jesus says, "Follow me," now think about the story we read a moment ago. Simon and Andrew, they just left their nets. In other words, this became the focus of their life. And and and, and by pointing that out, the point is not that therefore everyone has to become a pastor or a vocational minister. It's not the point. But the point I really want you to see because this is very countercultural. Uh, in America today, that this became the focus of their life. In other words, that following Jesus for them was not just like a side project. It wasn't just like a hobby. Like this was actually the same thing. It wasn't just like, well, I'm I'm kind of into Jesus and rock climbing and ukulele and whatever. No, it's like following Jesus was like the thing for them. It was like everything else found its meaning within that context, right? It wasn't just an add-on to their life. And I just, so I just want to underscore that, that following Jesus only makes sense when this is really your central focus, your animating principle in life. Now, you can do that regardless of what your life looks like. You can do that as an educator. You can do that as a college student. You can do that as a full-time parent. You can do that as, as a real estate agent, whatever your thing is. Follow Jesus right where you are. But what this means is that this is to be the priority of your life. Jesus says, come, follow me, be my disciple. Now, uh, in passing, I want to point out something very interesting in this passage we read from Mark chapter 8, and there's kind of two groups of people mentioned here. First of all, it says there's the disciples, and and then secondly, there is the crowds, now, when you read disciples, don't think of the 12, in other words, the apostles. Um, they were a subgroup of a broader group of disciples, and they were dozens, hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples that Jesus had all throughout Galilee. By listing these two groups, Mark is not only describing who is there on this occasion, this is actually a literary device. And part of what's happening here is by by, by pointing this out, what he's saying to you and to me as as the people reading this text is, which group are you in? Are you in the crowd or are you a disciple? And that was a piercing question in the first century. And that is a piercing question just as much today. Are you a disciple? That is the question of this text. And you might be here today and you're like, I, I don't even know what I am. And I just want to say, we're so glad you're here. Like, just be where you are. Take your time. But this is a question that we all have to eventually answer for ourselves. Where where am I in this continuum of people? Where, where, Where am I? Dallas Word, one more, last last, last Willard quote, I promise. (laughs) He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs. Now think about all the drama and all the brokenness and all the chaos in our world. This is is amazing. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs, in his opinion, is this. Whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence and, and and that's that's really it that's the invitation for all of us here today to become disciples to become followers of Jesus Christ and i want to point out in mark 8:34 jesus said whoever wants to be my disciple and what that means is Whoever. That means you. That means me. I remember when I was a college student and I first heard the word disciple, I thought, I don't know what that means, but that sounds really hardcore. But here's what I want you to know. To be a disciple, this isn't for like a spiritual elite. This is for everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what you haven't done, how much education you have or you don't have. I don't care what your background, the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is for everyone. Whoever wants to be my disciple that is the invitation. This is for everyone. Now, I want to just kind of underscore that uh, the the kind of life that Jesus invites us into, that this is not automatic, and that there are actually lots of forces coming against us to actually pull us away from this kind of life. And so, what that means is that if we want to grow as followers of Jesus, this actually requires Commitment, this actually requires putting into practice the ways of jesus and and again, I know this is just so counter cultural, and one reason is because we now live in a culture of convenience. Think about this, think about this um, uh, now we have not only we have you know uh, video on demand amazon prime free same day delivery i 'll just share just i 'll tell on myself here so there was sometime in the past few years I had ordered like a book. And I'm used to free same-day delivery. And they said, free next-day delivery. I'm like, wait. Like, like, what do you mean? I can't get it now. I want it now. One-click buying, now. And, And there's actually new studies about how our patience has just plummeted. Like something like if a website doesn't load in like 10 seconds, I just saw a study. Like people are like upset. Like what is wrong with the world? We live in a culture of convenience. we have no idea, but and, and look, I, I like Amazon Prime as much as the next guy, but the problem is this is wreaking havoc on our spiritual lives, and we start to just kind of implicitly assume if this isn 't easy, if it isn 't convenient, that therefore maybe this isn't uh, this isn 't worth applying myself to or it isn 't worth doing, and we just you know we 're used to like uber Eats, one click food's on my porch in fifteen minutes Uber a car 's there five minutes, and it 's infected our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, an, it's affected our following of him. It's affected church life. It's affected so many things. And so I just want us to hear that if we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to commit to something that will sometimes not be convenient for your life. Uh, I think it was Woody Allen who said that 80% of life is just showing up. Even when it's not convenient, just showing up, showing up to small group, showing up to God in the morning, saying, God, here I am. I don't feel like praying but I'm going to pray because I know I need you more than life itself. It means showing up at church when brunch sounds really good. It means, you know, calling your friend when God puts that thought on your mind rather than just dismissing it Well, I got email to do. No, like I'm going to call my friend because I feel like God's putting them on my heart to call. It's just simple obedience in those moments. It's showing up even when it's not convenient. That is central to the life of following Jesus Christ. And again, that's countercultural, but I just feel like we, we have to stand up against the individualism, against the consumerism, against the convenience of our culture, because that is the only way to walk the path of Jesus. He said, whoever wants to, uh, whoever, uh, you know, tries to gain, hold on to their life will lose, but if you lose your life for me, that's where you will find life. That's where you will find life. And just maybe one last scripture on this. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus really kind of brings this to a head. This is at the climax of his famous Sermon on the Mount. And in this teaching, which I believe is the greatest teaching the world has ever seen, he's really teaching about life in the kingdom of God. And and in the climax of this entire message, here's where he takes this whole message. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? Puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So again, Jesus ends, again, his greatest teaching ever with this idea of practice and what that underscores for us is that he's not just calling us to a new set of ideas that we are to assent to, he's actually calling us to a new way of life, a life of following Jesus. Kenneth Boas says this, he says, the key is this, instead of just mentally believing in the gospel of Christ, we need to start living this in Christ life now. We need to become practitioners, not following biblical laws to check a box, but doing practical things to get close to God, like we do with anyone we want to be close with. You know, this is like, it's, sometimes we have this disconnect with our relationship with God, but it's just like in any other area of life. He goes on, none of this happens by human effort alone. All of it requires the help of the Holy Spirit, who lives in every believer. As we offer our lives to God through practices that draw us to him, it may feel less natural At first growing close to someone takes time. A relationship doesn't deepen and mature overnight. And there are those awkward moments in the beginning. So for example, if you're new to praying, when you start to pray, it might feel a little awkward at first, but that's okay. That's how you grow. You just press into that. If you show up to a small group for the first time, it might feel a little awkward at first. It's like, what do I do? I don't know what the expectations are. That's okay. You press through that because that's where we find life. He puts it like this. But if we keep practicing and don't give up we'll find that time spent cultivating our life in God is worth more than anything else we've ever done. Just hear that, that this is the most important thing that we're called to. And this is actually why we're on this planet, to be followers of Jesus, to be disciples of him. And so just as we kind of, Wrap this up, let me just kind of ask what is what does this mean for us practically? What are some practical ways we can step into this? If you're here today and, and, and you want to follow Jesus, like what can you do to kind of maybe take some steps in this? Basically, just five things I want to invite you into. And first is I want to invite you to commit to following Jesus. We live in a commitment phobic culture. And so again, this goes against the grain of everything we're we're sort of habituated into. But I want to invite you to really center your life around Jesus Christ, around following him. Uh, that That's really the first thing, the first call. And the second, I want to invite you to join. If you feel like this is where uh, your spiritual home is, I want to invite you to join a small group in this season. Um, we've got some ongoing small groups, and then we've got some new small groups starting on October 4th. And, and these ones are really focused on practicing the ways of Jesus together. And just in the season, we felt that, uh, you know, it can be really easy to talk about the ways of Jesus. And so we just felt a, a sense of call from God to really focus more on on practicing the ways of Jesus, but together. Because when you try that on your own, that can be hard. But together, it's it's, it's there's a strength, there's a synergy, there's a momentum that comes with that. And so we're just excited about these groups. And uh, I've been a part of a pilot group, and it's just been so much fun. And it's been having a deep impact on my life. So we invite you into those. And if you'd like to join one of these new small groups, again, just fill out a connect card and, and maybe write small groups on there. We would love to, uh, we'd love to, to, to get you connected there. So, uh, that is an invitation. Um, third thing, gather on Sundays. So check, uh, you done that? That's easy. You're here. Um, uh, that's the easy one, but, um, With that, though, I just want to, I just want to invite us to really commit to really, to really being here. You know, if you're not out of town for work, or if you're not sick, to really, uh, really prioritize being together with the body of Christ. Uh, this is just so central to how we follow Jesus together. So important. So gather on Sundays. But number four, serve. And, and another part of following Jesus is actually using our gifts to serve others. And an obvious place to start is here on Sundays, and uh, you might think like, oh, this is kind of a small church, so maybe there's not much going on. Actually, you have no idea what it takes to pull off a Sunday service. And there's so many opportunities to serve, and to bless people, and encourage people, and and uh, just to use your gifts. And so, uh, if you'd like to get plugged in, if you, again, fill out a Connect card, check a box, we would love to connect with you. Also, we have an amazing uh, ministry serving our homeless friends on the street here in Fullerton, our laundry shower ministry. And so, uh, our friend Marsha, we, we want to raise your hand, Marsha. So, yeah, here's Marsha. You can talk to her after the service, or fill out a connect card we would love to share with you if you have interest in in serving in that context. Uh, that's in just an amazing ministry. So so serving and then finally finally to give. And um and, and by that, I mean, literally, we're inviting you to, to give to the work uh, of God through this church. And, and uh, there's an ancient uh, spiritual discipline uh, called, called tithing, and that drives from a Hebrew word, which means a tenth. And, and so we, just, we invite people to, to tithe toward the work uh, of God through this church. And, and some of you are already doing that. Some of you, maybe you're not ready for that. And so I would say, just, just start wherever you are. If that's 1%, if that's 5%, just start wherever you are. But this is actually part of how we formed into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, as I think I mentioned last week, that generosity is not something you can cultivate just in the abstract. Like, hey, I'm gonna become a generous person. No, it's actually, you kind of need some skin in the game, and that's actually part of how we're transformed. Not only does that help also fuel all the ministry we do. And so that's just an invitation. Start wherever you are, but this is how uh, we grow. Um, and as my friend, I had a good chat with my friend Greg the other night, and uh, he made the good point, when Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also One thing that means is if if you were to look at, like, how am I spending my money? Like, that will tell you, okay, where are my priorities? Like, where is my heart? But also, there's another implication that we sometimes overlook, namely that where you put your treasure, it's like your heart naturally follows. And so, if you want to grow spiritually, a great way to do that is actually when you start investing in the kingdom of God and, and and what God's doing, even just financially that like somehow it's like your heart sort of gets 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 involved in that and you begin to grow through that and so that's what I found in my life so those are some invitations. I'll invite the band to come back up um so some of you here today might be thinking, "Well, man, this is kind of overwhelming like you know like." if you want me to, you know, follow Jesus and make that like the main thing in my life, or like, really? Like, yeah, like that's, like, that's actually the invitation to make following Jesus the main thing in your life. And, and, uh, Jesus said, said, follow me. And he said, this is for everyone. But I want to, uh, just tie this just in closing to, um, just the idea that this is actually the path to life. This is actually the path to life. I'm going to close with a quote from a guy named Mark Scandretti. I'm reading a book of his by now. And he says, we are being invited to trust that the instructions of Jesus are based on true knowledge of the way life actually works. They are meant to liberate us from the patterns of thinking and acting that are sabotaging and destroy us and everyone around us. So rather than begrudgingly asking, what do I have to do or how far do I have to go? A better question is how free and alive am I willing to be? You see, following Jesus, this is the path to life. This is the path to freedom. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that um, the Bible says when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, you came to us, God. And you brought salvation, God. And we thank you that you came to invite us into a relationship with yourself a life of following you and so Lord I just pray for each person here that they would hear what you're inviting them into specifically in this time Lord would you give us the grace to follow to trust you and through that God may we experience so much life so much healing so much transformation in us and through us, God, in the city, wherever we go, wherever we find ourselves, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just take a moment, just in silent prayer, just to connect with God. Maybe you just want to reflect, like, what is he saying to you today? Just take a moment to reflect, Then we'll continue in worship.